welcome to another episode of our Fire Side series on class actions. Um, I know we're talking about the COVID-19 environment and one of the questions that we've commonly been asked by clients is, given the environment, um, both health and the forthcoming economic issues we're facing, what is the environment like for class actions? Well, um, this is a fireside series. So when I thought about this and talked to my colleagues about it, and I'll introduce in a minute, my mind went back almost 30 years. Um, Australia then was in the midst of a very bad recession, probably the last one we had until the one we're facing now. And those were the days, the early 90s, when for the first time class actions were introduced into the Australian scene. Before that, we had representative actions, but then as now, business clients were asking us the same question, which is given the economic environment, what does the landscape look like for my business? And that business, um, you know, and the environment included environmental, securities, financially distressed entities, um, data and privacy, product liability, just as it does now. We learned a lot in those days, but they are very different days than then. In those days, um, of course, while the economy was in a very bad way, class actions were new. There were not contingency fees. There weren't funders. It's fair to say that those lawyers who now regularly for applicants and class actions didn't have a head of steam. They were still learning how to do it. Those things have all changed. And of course, one of the things that's changed significantly is the speed or the rate of a class action being instituted after the crisis has occurred. We'll talk about those things. Even so, the topics that we want to touch on are exactly the same topics that we talked about in a seminar almost 30 years ago, but the results are quite different. So I'm delighted to introduce my colleagues who are experts in the areas that they're going to address you on. Um, Alan Mitchell and Leah Robinson, and they're going to talk about um, the, the very questions that I think you listening to this will want to talk about. Um, to kick it off, I'm going to ask Leah to talk about employment. Um, and in particular, I wonder if I could ask you, Leah, to consider what are the trends that are emerging in the employment and the security space during this period? Sure. Employment class actions is an area where we're seeing more activity. These types of actions can arise in many circumstances, including in relation to alleged underpayments of staff under an award or enterprise agreement, or in relation to the mischaracterisation of employees as casuals or independent contractors. Um, recent underpayment cases have included two separate federal class actions against major retailers on behalf of salaried managers. The claims in those cases allege that salaried managers were um, underpaid for overtime hours worked under a general retail industry award. The mischaracterisation cases have included allegations that employees um, are in, that are employed as casuals or independent contractors are in fact permanent employees. 
Those types of cases have been brought against employers in industries such as mining and telecommunications. In two recent federal court, full federal court decisions, the full federal court found that employees that were hired as casuals were in fact permanent employees and therefore able to obtain annual leave entitlements. In this COVID-19 environment as well, there's also an increased risk of workplace health and safety related class actions. While most businesses are doing all that they can to ensure that their employees are safe during this period, a class action risk might arise where groups of employees are required to work closely together or with insufficient protective measures in place. Moving on to securities class actions, it will be of no surprise that the security class action is the most prevalent type of class action being commenced in Australia. We've continued to see these actions commenced during the COVID-19 period. We're closely monitoring whether there might be an increase in the number of securities class actions that are commenced in the Supreme Court of Victoria, given the recent introduction of group costs order or contingency fee legislation in that state. Group costs orders would allow plaintiff law firms to receive a percentage of any damages awarded to the class. A group costs order would also allow the plaintiff law firm's legal costs to be shared amongst all group members. We also expect that securities class actions will be scrutinised by the current parliamentary inquiry being conducted by the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Corporations and Financial Services. While it's unclear whether any law reform recommendations will come out of that inquiry, as businesses emerge from this COVID-19 period, we anticipate that securities class actions will continue to be filed. In addition, we expect that um, as ASIC resumes the work that it started during the COVID-19 period, that we will begin again to see an increase in the parallel regulatory proceedings and securities class actions on the same subject matter. Thanks, um, Leah. Alan, just turning to you, um, obviously the period we're coming into is universally accepted as going to be a period of considerable financial hardship. Um, given that, what are you seeing in your area? What's going to be different going forward? Well, Peter, financial distress often can lead to a spiralling of adverse events with a single adverse event then triggering another adverse event, and that can ultimately lead to cost sections. To give you sort of an illustration of that, financial distress can often lead to a triggering of breaches in a company's loan covenants, for instance, loan-to-value ratio, which can then result in an acceleration of debt and then cross-default across a range of loans that that company might have. And that in turn can actually then trigger a regulatory investigation and continuous disclosure obligations can also follow. So you've got a lot of negative information hitting the market about that company, which can then affect its own trading performance. And that in turn can then have an effect on the earnings guidance that's previously given. So you again have this triggering of one event causing another event and ultimately um, a risk possibility of a class action being brought. So what, um, 
financial distress does do is expose problems about a company which otherwise might have might not have ever been revealed and that was seen in the position of Centro about a decade ago where the company was unable to refinance one maturing uh, debt facility that led to cross defaults across all of its loan facilities and an acceleration of the repayment dates for those facilities that in turn led to an ethic investigation and then discovery of the misclassification of debt by the company, which then caused a, uh, a class action to follow. So you have these successive adverse events, one building upon the other, which is problematic. Um, insolvent arrangements though, in themselves, as distinct from financial distress, don't necessarily lead to class actions. It's when a company's in administration or liquidation, it's unlikely that a class action would be commenced because you've got a statutory moratorium on the commencement of proceedings against the company in that position. And in place of a court proceeding to validate a claimant's interest, there is this proof of debt process which exists in a liquidation. So you don't ordinarily see class actions happening. And if leave to proceed were given by a court to commence proceedings, it's commercially unattractive for a would-be claimant to go that route because even if they succeed, all they're going to do is constitute themselves as an unsecured creditor against the company in liquidation, which may have limited, if any, commercial value. So it's more the financial distress conditions than formal arrangements that might happen to a company in insolvency. One of the things I've noticed all of us have as we've been forced into lockdown working from home is the amazing reliance on technology. Um, it's so different, isn't it? Um, what are your thoughts on data and privacy class actions? Well, there is no statutory right for individuals to bring an action for breach of privacy. Um, there are though other mechanisms by which uh, persons who feel that their private data has been compromised can bring proceedings which can result in a class action. There was a class action brought um, and settled in December last year, which involved a claim uh, whereby personal information of employees of the New South Wales Ambulance Service had been improperly accessed by a contractor who was then seeking to sell that personal information. So that was a situation where, though there's no statutory right of privacy, there was another mechanism by which persons could institute a claim, and they did so through that route. Uh, there's also a situation we're aware of where uh, persons have contacted the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner and they've made a complaint about the alleged breach by Optus uh, of the Privacy Act, whereby it's alleged that there was a disclosure of customer data to directories such as white pages when it ought not have happened. So that again has the, the sort of the building blocks of a class action, but more contractual based rather than on any sort of statutory right of privacy. I mean, I talked earlier about the fact that more and more Australians are working remotely and that's going to continue for quite a long time, I think. Um, is that a key driver? What are the other key drivers of um, data and privacy actions becoming more prevalent? Well, I think the current environment is very conducive to um, 
representative proceedings being brought. You've got a situation where more Australians are working remotely, there's much increased online shopping and use of uh, card transactions and elevated cyber threats. So there is the preconditions for uh, wrongdoing by others which might lead to a basis of claim for persons to bring through a representative proceeding. So also if there's any law reform which gave an express right uh, in privacy, then that also could accelerate the commencement of these types of claims. Sticking with you, Alan, for a minute, I'm very interested in your thoughts about trends emerging on environmental class actions. Sure. Um, environmental class actions, they will generally involve allegations uh, that the defendant has caused damage to the environment, which in turn has caused loss and damage to individuals. Uh, for instance, where you have a land contaminations or spills or emissions. And environmental class actions where brought commonly involve claims of negligence or nuisance. And there's actually a recent class action against the Department of Defence, where it was alleged that the department had negligently allowed toxic chemicals to escape from the defence base and contaminate local environments. Settlements of those class of that class actions have resulted in uh, settlement payments of about 212.5 million. So um, significant opportunity for those seeking to assert those types of claims and the, the legal basis for those sorts of claims is in negligence or nuisance. So, um, you know, companies need to take proactive steps to mitigate environmental risks, to minimise that potential. There's a lot of commentary in the press about the prospect of climate change based class actions. Now, if these class actions were brought, they would be likely another category of disclosure case. That is that like an investor class action, there would likely be an allegation that an entity or an investment fund failed to adequately disclose to the market or investors the climate change risks that were facing that entity uh, the mitigation costs that might be involved in those assets or the uh, true value of the investment funds investments in a particular entity because of those climate change risks. Thanks very much, Alan. Um, given what we've discussed, um, I'd like to turn to Leah to discuss risk mitigation. Um, but before I do so, can I just talk about one more issue um, facing business, um, which is product liability class actions. Um, just a couple of words on that. Some of the biggest class actions in Australia at the moment are related to uh, product liability issues. Um, why are they coming more to the fore? Are they coming more to the fore? We, we think they are. We think there's a clear trend in that direction. Um, I won't go into all the drivers because not all of them are COVID or economically related, but I would say this. Um, because supply chain issues are now more prominent than they were because of COVID, extra care needs to be put into ensuring that the product that comes through the supply chain is fit for purpose. Everyone knows, I think, the liability regime that awaits a manufacturer that has relied on a supplier where the supplier's work wasn't up to speed and wasn't up to standard. It's just an extra area where care needs to be taken. I won't say any more about that because we're running out of time, but one of the promises of this, I think, important podcast 
is in relation to the potential for risk mitigation and recommendations that we want to make. And as I say, I'm going to hand to Leah, who, talk to, who will talk to us about that. Thanks, Peter. In the current environment, we would recommend that companies, even more so than usual, prioritise the security of corporate data and customer information. It's also important to ensure that companies have robust and up-to-date policies and procedures in all key areas, including policy, privacy, sorry, workplace health and safety, and also continuous disclosure. It's also important to ensure that staff are trained on these policies and that their content is clearly communicated. In relation to COVID-19 specific policies and procedures, we consider that, that it is important that their compliance is monitored across all aspects of the business. It's important not just that the policies are in place, but that they're actually being adhered to. It's also probably um, an appropriate time for companies to really have a look at and consider the adequacy of their insurance arrangements. Thank, thank you, Leah. Um, the comments you've heard from Leah are critical. This particular podcast relating to what's next in the class action environment is such an important one. It's such a good time for corporates, for business to review their insurance arrangements and have a good think about how they can mitigate the risk in the way that Leah's described. We're facing challenging times. There's no doubt that the risks faced by business from class actions is not going to go away. In fact, if anything, it's likely to be accelerated, particularly with the introduction of contingency fees in Victoria. But we have been delighted to see and hear from our clients about the proactive and resilient way in which they continue to face both the challenges and the uncertainties. So thank you for taking time out of your schedules to join us today. And we do hope you'll be able to join us in the next episode.